Welcome to Haunted Hospitality, Southern Stories Told by Spooky Gingers. I'm Robin. And I'm Zoe. And I have a story for you today, but first, Zoe, how's life? Well, Robin, as you know, I just came from a 10-year-old's birthday party. Wearing your banana shirt. Wearing my banana shirt, because you know what? I had to be the fun cousin, you know? (laughs) The pressure of being the fun cousin. Exactly. And then I immediately went into camp counselor mode, and I was teaching a bunch of 10-year-old boys how to bowl, and it was so much are you good at bowling, Zoe? No, but I had to teach them. <laughs> Are you the best one to teach them how to bowl? No, see, the thing is, I wasn't teaching them how to bowl necessarily, but I was teaching them, like, hey, if you're not wearing bowling shoes, you're not allowed on this platform. Also, if you're not the one bowling, you're not allowed on this platform. Also, oh. you're supposed to walk up to the line and then throw the ball, not be, like, five feet away from the line when you're rolling the ball. Also, don't throw the ball up in the air. You have to roll it onto the platform. I was teaching them things like that. No offense, Zoe, but I think you got demoted from fun cousin. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean... This was the first birthday party of my cousins. Uh, His name's River. He just turned 10. Happy birthday! This was my first birthday party of his where he didn't end up crying. Actually, nobody ended up crying. So, I'm very happy. That is the mark of a successful birthday party. Thank you. But I just kept remembering... Okay, so when he was being born, okay? So his mom had diabetes. Mm Mm-hmm. And the pregnancy wasn't exactly the healthiest pregnancy for her at the time. And he ended up being born a little bit early, I think. And they had to, like, I don't know. I've never been pregnant myself. I've never given birth. But there's this thing that the doctors do if the baby's not, like, head down is that they basically tase the baby. (laughs) and, And, like... Get the baby to wiggle in the womb until he's head down, okay? Okay. So, I went to go see my aunt in River when he was born 10 years ago, and I was holding him for the first time, maybe a day old, and while I was holding him, my phone started vibrating in my pocket because I was getting a phone call, and he started crying because it was a similar sensation <gasps> to the little taser thing Poor that happened. Poor baby had PTSD. He did have baby PTSD. <laughs> and I started laughing my butt off. And of course that made him even more upset because I couldn't stop laughing. And so somebody had to take him from me. But yeah. I just wanted to share that story in honor of his 10th birthday. Thank you for sharing. Happy birthday, River. Congratulations (laughs) on not crying. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Robin? How are you? So as we know, I like to watch trashy reality TV. Yes, we do know this. And I watched yesterday. The the Love is Blind season two reunion came out yesterday. And oh my god. (laughs) I have seen clips of Love is Blind, mostly that one guy who looks like he's on coke the whole time. Oh, him. Yeah, yeah, And acts yeah. like a kindergartner. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, of them, how many did, ended up staying married? Okay, um, Love is Blind, season two, spoilers ahead. Okay. Skip ahead one minute. Okay. Okay, here's what happened. Two couples out of, I think it was six. Okay. Six got together that were filmed. They were actually more, but, like, the producers thought they weren't interesting. 
Oh. Of the six that they chose to film that got together, engaged at the beginning of this, because, you know, the idea is you speak to somebody through a wall for 10 days, you get engaged if you want to see them ever again, though, honestly, everybody lives in Chicago, so you could totally hit someone up. But, like, so, get engaged to somebody, and then you go to Mexico, and then you integrate into your real life, and then you decide if you want to get married, and you have to decide at the altar unless you decide to break your engagement way early, which one couple did. So okay. one down, five to go. Out of the five weddings... Two of them resulted in marriages, which is actually, I think, the same stats as season one. Oh, wow. Yeah, except season one, you had Lauren and Cameron, who were just goals, and they were solid, like ridiculously solid for having gotten engaged after 10 days. They're amazing together. We love them. They are the foundation of that show. Okay. Now you have season two, Uh and to be quite honest with you, I didn't feel as confident in any of the couples as I did with Lauren and Cameron in season one. I don't know if they're replicable. I genuinely don't think that they are. And how does the show stand when they don't have that incredibly solid, like, proof of concept? Right. (laughs) Love is blind. And in fact, one thing they did say, um, well, they were, like, talking about how love is blind in the season two reunion, and then one guy was like, no, it's blurry. You need to be on a show called Love is Blurry. Uh, And now that's a meme. Okay. Anyway. I, I just saw clips of people being like, oh, when the women are t- asking questions, they're like, what's your profession? Do you have siblings? And the guys were asking questions like, if I were to pick you up, how, okay. how easy okay. would it be? Okay, okay. Shake is not representative of all guys on that show. Okay, so it was He's one guy. Shake. Okay. He was like, he was like, would I be able to pick you up on my shoulders and then to one girl he was he he asked this in many different ways okay and he was like to one girl i love to buy women clothes which okay i feel like that's a red flag i just Mm -hmm. feel like that's a red flag yeah and he was like what size would yours be which is like fat phobic (laughs) yes oh 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 there's there's lots there's lots there's lots love is not blind apparently (laughs) anyway anyway Love the show, quite okay. honestly. Um, season two reunion was. I'm just something. afraid of that coat guy. Like, he, his eyes never close. <sighs> he, They're constantly he, all the way open. He's a very interesting person. <laughs> he's a very interesting person. I saw person. a single clip of his movements and he moved like a kindergartner. I. <laughs> is, I guess, like. I never, in the show, in the show, like, you're never made to sit or stand in one place except when you're at the altar. Okay. And when at the altar, he was already even more agitated because you're at the altar and you're like, is she going to say yes? Am I going to say yes? And his movements, like, he was rotating his head. He was doing, he was, like, stepping up, stepping down. And, yeah, that kindergartner vibes. And then at the season two reunion, he had to sit down in a cushion next to a guy that wouldn't shut up. And so he was, like, just... All those movements, all those facial expressions, it really is nuts. And I'm nobody talked about it. Everybody online talks about it, but nobody there, t- which is probably good because, yeah. like, don't be mean. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like, that's my what, thoughts what, on Love is Blind, too. I could honestly go on and on and on. I have one more question. Was he one of the people who got married and stay married? No. Okay. I honestly thought he would. I thought okay. they would get married. Actually, everybody did, but apparently there was one huge blow up. I, listen, this is not a Love is Blind podcast, but just to, like, let y'all know, I genuinely, like, just... I don't think, other than Lauren and Cameron, (laughs) I don't think they've proved love is blind. At least not for these people 
who signed on for the reality TV show. And I'm not here judging because I love to watch it. Okay. Okay. All right. That's. Do you have something something for me today? I do. Otherwise, I could just literally go on about this for forever. I'm going to go into the something something. All right. I'm cheating a little bit on this something something because I kind of already told you about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what I, are you telling me about? Well, my coworker wrote to me. <gasps> yes, this. Yes. Okay, okay, thank you. Now <laughs> I remember. I'm so excited. Okay, so my coworker, who shall not be named, um, <laughs> she. They who shall not be. She who shall not be yes. named. <laughs> she reached out to me after episode 49 came out, and you had that spooky southern places list. Yeah. And one of the items on that list was the Partridge Inn in mm-hmm. Augusta, Georgia. And she wrote me pretty much first thing Tuesday morning (laughs) saying, oh my God. (laughs) Okay. So she sent me two different messages where she was describing the same night. Mm -hmm. So I pieced together the messages. So I'm not telling you the story twice because there was, there, there were different details that she provided in each. So I puzzled them together, but I did not change a single word. So this has been edited for length and clarity. Yes. Thank Mm -hmm. you. So. She says, I've stayed at the Partridge Inn in Augusta. I knew that place was haunted. To be clear, she now, she's like, oh, I knew that place was haunted. Oh, thank you for like, so now she, well. Now she knew. Like it confirms what her suspicions were that were born that fateful night. Yes. (laughs) So she was living in Augusta about 10 years ago and our HVAC stopped working in July, of course. So we got a room for the night at the Partridge Inn, and I did not sleep at all. This is what I remember. We checked in late in the evening and had dinner in our room. There was a banging noise in the walls that kept me awake that he explained as old pipes. And I swear, I heard someone walking up and down the hall the whole night, too. I woke him up at one point, and he confirmed the noise, but said it was probably someone cleaning. But cleaning staff for hotels usually push a cart or some sort of supply container. There was none of that. It was just someone walking up and down the halls all night long. I got up and looked out the door once or twice and never saw anyone. My boyfriend at the time was a teacher and had to wake up at 4 a.m. to leave for work each day. I tried to stay in the room to get ready for my work day, but I was so creeped out that I decided just to go home. I told him that place was haunted and he told me I was crazy. I feel so vindicated hearing now that it made Robin's list of haunted places. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you very much for sharing. Yes, so that is a real person we know writing in their story about the partridge in. Awesome. I love having this. And also, can I just say, like, cleaning staff doesn't work at night at hotels. I'm that, pretty yeah. sure they don't work at night. Yeah, probably not. No. Because people are sleeping in their rooms. You can yeah. clean when people are in there sleeping. And hopefully, if you have any empty rooms, you can just do it late in the afternoon or early in the morning before mm. people check out. And you don't walk back and forth all night. <laughs> no, no. That... That was a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> that was a ghost. That was a ghost. All right. Are you are you are you ready? I am my... ready. Okay, okay. I think I'm ready. Am I ready? You're ready. I'm no, ready. It's, okay. You're ready. You're ready. Okay. It's fine. Content warning for violence and mentions of suicide. Fanny Lillian Madison. Another person named Fanny. Wait, who was the other Fanny? Wasn't that the other the <laughs> axe murder? The wolf lurk? Wasn't the aunt named Fanny? Very possibly. Anyway, sorry. Okay. You, how good, good 
job mem- remembering episode five's aunt. <laughs> <laughs> the name Fanny just sticks out to me, okay? Uh, yeah. Fanny Lillian Madison was born in King William County, Virginia in 1863. She lived on a farm with her father and I'm sure other family members, but her father's name was Charles J. Madison and also the only one mentioned in the newspapers. And they were not well off and the newspaper, the Comet, described him as worthy but poor. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I thought that was a weird... Wow. a, A weird conglomeration of two things put together uh, so she she lived with him she got an education i think she went away for school came back and then decided that she wanted to earn a living on her own which for the year this was 1884 she was 21 pretty pretty cool pretty out there yeah she's a woman wanting to earn her own living when she's not allowed to have a bank account yeah yeah okay so a brief geography lesson. Oh, I need that. <laughs> okay, good. King William County. I had to look up. I was so confused. King William County is in northeastern Virginia. Okay. There are a series of, like, long, thin areas. So you have King William County, long, thin area. To its right is King and Queen County, long, thin area. That oh. will come into play. And then to that right is a long, thin area of Richmond, Virginia. All that will come into play. She leaves all of these. She goes west, across the state, to Bath. Bath of Virginia. Virginia. Okay. Yes. Where there is a family called the Dickersons, and she goes to be a governess to their children. Okay. She leaves in the summer, and she stays there. She teaches. She does her thing. And then in March, she sits down to write a letter pretending to be an old school friend named Mary Curtis. Okay. So she writes as Mary Curtis, and she says, you know, like, this is not verbatim, but she says, like, Dear Fanny, my aunt is sickly and she wants you to travel with her and be her companion for, I guess, a temporary amount of time. And so Fanny reads this false letter out to Mrs. Dickerson and says, well, I need to go and travel and be with my friend's aunt. So she hops on a train to Richmond, Virginia, and this is March. Uh Uh-huh. And the conductor saw her. He saw that she was traveling alone. And so, as he always asks for women who are traveling alone, he says, are you meeting someone? Do you have somebody who will be able to meet you where you're going? And she says, yes, my cousin Tommy will be able to meet me. Okay. And she also told the conductor, according to the Fort Worth Weekly Gazette, quote, she wished the train would run off and kill her, end quote. Oh! Because of a train delay, she comes into Richmond at about 2 a.m., Okay. Where she goes to the American Hotel and checks in under the name F.L. Merton, mm-hmm. which is not her name. No, it's Fanny. Fanny Lillian Madison. Oh, gotcha. So she's, okay, it's, it's So close. it's the same initials, It's but... the same initials, but Merton versus Madison. So that is the 2 a.m. on March 13th. Just over 24 hours later, on the morning of March 14th, it's a Saturday, the person who runs a place called the Old Reservoir, which provides water to a lot of Richmond, sees a single woman's glove on a parapet overlooking the reservoir. And then underneath it, he sees that the gravel there has been like shifted around. It, just, it is not laying like it normally would. Can you explain what a parapet is? Because that, to me, sounds like two cats. <laughs> I had to Google it. Essentially, it, it, the, the, it was not helpful. It was saying, like, a balcony, something on a balcony, something over. So, like, over. an awning, maybe? 
let's assume like it's part of a fence, but it's a tall, platformy part of a fence. Okay. So there is a single lady's glove on around the, f- the platformy fence bit. Yes. And the, the gravel, gravel underneath was disturbed. The gravel underneath is disturbed. And then he looked down to the water and saw floating near the shore a woman in a dress. Ooh. Yes. They called, you know, the coroner, they did an investigation. And she was bruised with a wound to her head right above her right eye. And the examination revealed that she had been seven months pregnant. Ooh. Yes. And the only place she had been prior to the train was at the place where she was a governess? Yes, but if you do math, because it didn't say when in the summer she left for Bath. So I do have questions, which we will get into. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go back and kind of go over her time in Richmond, which is largely pieced together from witnesses saying, well, I think I saw them here, or I think I saw this. So, you know, I'm going to go into it. She was eating breakfast. So she arrived 2 a.m. at American Hotel. I'm sure she got some sleep. She was eating breakfast in her room around 10 a.m. on March 13th when a servant came in with a note for her. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what the note said, but she scribbled something on a piece of paper that was saying I will be there as soon as possible so do wait for me and she put it in an envelope addressed to T.J. Cluverius based off of her decision to make her fake name I'm guessing this person's name was T.J.C. which matches the Tommy that she said she was going to meet You're clever. Thank you. (laughs) So she gave that to the boy who looked for the man who had given him the letter to give to her, but he didn't see him and there was no further identification of an address or anything on the envelope. So they gave it to the hotel clerk. And when the hotel clerk couldn't find anybody, they just ripped it up for privacy's sake and then later pieced it back together to help solve what was going on. And yes, you're right. The TJ Cluverius refers to Thomas Jensen Cluverius. He is 23 years old. Okay. He's about 5'9", 5'10". He is described as broad-shouldered with dark auburn hair and the New York Times described his face as rather pleasant. (laughs) Just (laughs) FYI. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And he is a young lawyer and he is Fanny's cousin. Distant-ish? It, it, it said distant cousin. I honestly tried to, like, look up all these, you know, you can find all these, like, online ancestry registries, and I just couldn't find them, which is very odd, because this is not a unwell-known case. Right. Like, this is okay. something you would put up there. But anyway, couldn't find it. Some character things about him. He was a bit of a player. Uh, um, he was apparently engaged to three girls at once, oh. including one of them being a very high society woman. She had a lot of money. He was a Sunday school teacher. Mm-hmm. And he, by, by, by player, I really mean like people are like, he's like 15 or 20 letters, like just that he kind of has like in a little box that come from all these different women. And they're very like racy, including one of them said like, listen, don't break the seal of this letter unless you swear not to share it with anybody else. You got me? Yeah. You got me. Okay. Back to Fanny. Right. We do know her, at least comings and going, was from the hotel. So she left 10 a.m. So she left right after she got 
the thing from TJ. Uh-huh. I'm just going to call him Thomas. She left right after she got the thing from Thomas. And then she did leave again. I guess we just know her goings. We don't know when she comes back to the hotel. So she left at 10 a.m. Then she left after dinner, which I note could mean after lunch. And then she left one more time at 9 p.m. Okay. Now, here are the people who have witnessed the comes and goings of Thomas and her possibly because a lot of this is like well I think this could be that person gotcha yeah a man boarded a streetcar so this is the witness as the streetcar driver man boarded a streetcar near the American Hotel at 9 p.m. so that is when she left and he did board with a woman and I believe it was when they got off that he was asking is this Reservoir Street? And the driver said, yes, this is Reservoir Street, because the reservoir is on Reservoir Street. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. This is and that's where one... her body was, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be saying the word reservoir a lot, I think. Shut, shut, shut. Just, you know what? This is probably, what if this is like the last time I say reservoir in the entire episode, and everybody's like, she's just lying. She's yeah. just a liar. You are a liar. <laughs> <laughs> So the guy who, you know, saw him answered, yes, this is Reservoir Street. He, you know, is later called to be like, you know, confirming is this him or not. So I guess they bring Thomas in front of these people at some point And he says, I think that's him, but I wouldn't be able to say for absolutely certain that it was. Okay. So, okay. Under cover of night. But he is pretty sure about it because there were few people who go to that part of town at night. So the streetcar was pretty empty. Gotcha, okay. The next person was a man named Dr. Stratton who was walking on Reservoir Street. At this point, they are about half a mile from the reservoir. You know, it's not an easy word to say. No, it's not. (laughs) They were about a half a mile from the the reservoir. The reservoir? They were half a mile from the reservoir. Oh. I need to stop this, I'm sorry. They were about a half a mile from the reservoir, and the man asked, what street are we on? And the guy said, Reservoir. I can't say it. <laughs> and the man said Reservoir Street. And he noted that the woman's clothes were tight fitting. Okay. And that she held a bundle in her arms. Okay. Because that's what I was thinking about when she was leaving. I'm like, seven months pregnant? Like, you'd be showing at seven months pregnant. You'd be sh- Okay, so okay, let's talk about, like, the tight fitting and the bundle for a second. So, tight fitting, I doubt that she would have gotten, like more clothes for this purpose because dresses were super expensive and you're like trying to hide the fact and because like they had to do an autopsy to kind of figure out for sure like just how far along she was Mm -hmm. maybe she just wasn't showing very much in comparison but still at seven months you'd be pretty big yeah i mean there are some women who just carry more internal than they do external Mm -hmm. and i mean i've seen photos of those bodybuilders who are pregnant and it's like i'm eight months pregnant and they like look like they just had a big meal one other thing to keep in mind is I don't know how much a corset would factor into this. Are right. you, like, squishing anything? I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And then I read Bundle, and I was like, no. No, she didn't. Give birth? Yeah. No. Okay. She was still pregnant. Oh, my God, you're so right. She was still pregnant. Oh, my God, you're so right. She was probably just holding something in front of her stomach to mask her belly. Okay, thank you. Zoe, you're that welcome. That was a massive <laughs> leap in logic for me. Oh my god, I'm done. I'm so stupid. I can't. Continue. They didn't shove the baby back up there after oh he my killed god. her. 
Okay, so so we know that either they or a couple who looks relatively like them, and by a couple, okay, a man and a woman, because right. that's also over speculation, were in that area around that time, and then nobody really sees Fanny after this. Okay. They do see Thomas, so he is staying at a different hotel. He is staying at the Capitol Hotel, and he is described as coming in at about 11 p.m. that night talking to the proprietor who gave him an apple okay so he ate the apple and then he went to bed and then the next morning he left to go back to king and queen county where he lived with his aunt on a farm okay have you ever seen the youtuber cinemasins no okay so cinemasins they count the sins in cinema Mm -hmm. right and he has he has a couple running gags in all of his videos and one of them is that whenever characters eat an apple it's to make them look like an asshole oh really yeah so the fact that you specifically mentioned that he's eating an apple is like and i'm just like ding looks like an asshole (laughs) (laughs) he could okay that whole like i'm telling you this because we're gonna get into whether or not he did it okay because I mean, at this point, I'm assuming, because he was the last person seen with her. Yeah. And he's a player, and he probably impregnated her and is killing her once she confesses that she's pregnant. You are, like, right in line with what all these Virginians were thinking at this point, okay? (laughs) I'm just letting you know that right now. He was charged with murder. Ooh. He was arrested on March 18th. He was eating dinner when they arrived, and he was very surprised when they showed up. Okay. He said that he did know about Fanny's death, but only because it had made the papers, and that, yes, he had been in Richmond during that time, because, I mean, obviously he was in Richmond because he was registered at the hotel. Right. But he said he didn't see her. And that look you just gave me, yo. Doubt. uh, He (laughs) said he didn't see her, and that they weren't, like, writing letters or anything to each other, which... She did write T.J. Cluverius on that envelope. And so. how many other T.J. Cluveriuses were in the area at the time? You don't know. But then again, he it, that never got back to him, so he didn't know that that had made the channels. Oh. And my guess is she had gotten up real quick to meet him, so there was no... Why would he think that she sent a letter ahead of it? Right. He did say like he arrived on Thursday and left Saturday morning, so that's all checking out with the timeline he did like i think provide details about what he did there and like one person we we do know that at 5 p.m he sat down for a play or no the play ended at 5 p.m sometime the afternoon of friday he sat down for a play okay we do know that because people recognize him in this area he is also it should be noted i think like related to fanny but i think of like a bit of a higher social stature considerably just because I, i think he has more money he's a lawyer and the influence his family has and he uh, also has a pleasant face. And he also has a pleasant face, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, so he is like not able to provide an alibi mm-hmm. for these times, but because he was murdering her. Okay, you were you were going into this hard. <laughs> we're going into this hard. I'm going to give you a bit of like background as to there's two key things that may be like helping us to determine what exactly their relationship was okay because again they're cousins he apparently had visited richmond before previously like before this whole thing and according to some sex workers who worked at these two different brothels he had gone into these brothels 
with Fanny. Oh, wow. Yes. I was very surprised to read that because, like, you do not hear about women going to brothels at this time. And was this before she went to become a governess? I assume so because I don't think she was doing that much traveling during that time. Right. However, if it was during the time that she was a governess, you could potentially disprove this because this is, again, like, just people saying that they saw them. Right. But I I was very surprised to get that detail, and I wanted to let you know. And, okay, he had written her a racy poem himself because they'd gone through her trunk that she had at Bath with all her things, and there was a poem called On the Delaware, Mm -hmm. which was about seducing a woman on the Delaware River. Uh, Okay. Yeah, just FYI. So racy. (laughs) No, no, apparently they were were like, you would not believe what is in this poem. It is disgusting. Okay. And also he did send that to his cousin. So like those... In the 1800s, is it still normal to marry your cousin? Or is that like a 1500s thing? I honestly, I can say it's like, I, I feel like it's probably pretty normal at that time, but I'm reading these newspapers and they all seem like pretty disgusted with the thought that he was... Her cousin. Dating his cousin or doing okay. whatever with his cousin okay. like because they stressed cousin more than anything else so honestly i don't i i'm trying to like sense out what the feel of the times is maybe he was her like first cousin it said distant oh, i don't know and i couldn't trace it back with ancestry trees but i all i know is in the newspaper recountings of it they seem to be pretty much like a, not all of them but some of them anti him specifically because like dude you're trying to seduce your cousin like that's not good yeah Yeah. okay that's what i've been able to gather just from reading this but then again i'm not an expert on the times there was a fence around the reservoir so some people were like well how did they get in how did how did maybe they definitely she get in and it was through there was a hole that was behind this one guy's house that was actually really close to this one cemetery that was full of like 150 headstones for smallpox victims. Oh, okay. Yeah. But apparently the idea is they had gone through this hole in the fence to get to the reservoir. And one other thing that they found there, I think around the time they found her body, they found a watch key near the fence. Do you know what a watch key is? Because I did not. It's the thing that you stick into your watch to turn it, right? Okay, apparently you do know what a watch key is. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So in this one that they found looked very distinctive and it, it said it was like, two cones kind of stacked on top of each other. Okay. Which is an interesting look, I guess. And they were thinking this, I think there was like a little bit of insight into police minds at the time because they weren't thinking like, oh, we need to find who this belongs to. They were thinking, oh, we need to find how to, how this is connected to Thomas. Oh, You know? Because yeah. they were thinking if we can connect this to Thomas, without a doubt, this could be the nail in the coffin. So it took them a month, but on April 14th, they found a guy named Herman Joel, who is a watchmaker and who sometimes travels around to fix people's watches. And so he had gone to the King and Queen Courthouse, which, you know, is in the county that Thomas lives in. And he said he fixed the watch that this watch key belongs to and that, yes, I can link it to Thomas Cluverius. And they were like, yes, 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 this is it. Now, Thomas's brother countered that and held up a watch key that looked very similar to the one they had found and said uh this is thomas's watch key not that one Mm -hmm. now he could have bought another one but then again it was a distinctive one because it said it looked like it was an antique 
Okay. Like, at that time, it was an antique already. Right. So, the watch key thing, I think, ended up being a, a very intriguing item, but it wasn't as concrete as they had previously said. Okay. Because the idea is it could have belonged to anybody. But... They were planning on, at least at the start of her trial, possibly exhuming her body because they had noticed that Thomas had some light scratches on his right hand and they were thinking, we want to check her fingernails to see if it had been disturbed or anything, okay. like she had any signs scratches. of struggle. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I was not able to find anything about them actually being able to dig it up and find it. Okay, so either they didn't find anything or they weren't given permission to dig up her body. Or it came out and it just did not come out in a source that I was able to find. This is like, this is a thing, I think, looking through all my notes, almost all of my sources, if not all of them, are newspapers from the time period. There's not like a huge, there's not like a medium article on this or anything. Right. There's not like a Wikipedia page. I mean, I know other podcasts have covered it, it's just there's not actually a lot out there on it other than of the time period or like scholarly papers. Gotcha. Yeah, it's quite interesting. One other thing to keep in mind is that the coroner himself examined the body and he actually thought it was a suicide. That was my first thought when you were describing the body before you told me that Thomas was a thing, you know? Yeah. Because I mean, a lot of women choose suicide by drowning. Really? Yeah, like that's a distinctly woman thing, apparently. I didn't know that. Well, the other thing is, you know, she had that head thing. But yeah, when you said that head thing, I was like, oh, no, it's either murder or an accident. Yeah, and they did indict him for killing her, and they weren't sure what actually ended up killing her, whether it was, like, blunt force trauma, and so which they said, like, either it's a fist or it's an instrument we don't know of, so we don't know necessarily the murder weapon, or she died by drowning. But the idea is he attacked her and then, you know pushed her, forced her, whatever, into the water. Right. Critics of this, though, do say before it went to trial, they were saying, well, there's only circumstantial evidence. There's nothing... You you have a few people who say, I think that was him walking toward the reservoir with a woman who I think is her. You have a watch key that looks like his watch key, but his brother shows up with something that could easily be this guy's watch key. Mm -hmm. so the things tying him to her, it looked, it was suspicious as all get out. Right. But in terms of evidence, there wasn't much. There was no smoking gun. There was no smoking gun. No murder weapon. You're all good job. Thank nice. you. It's almost <laughs> like we've been doing this for almost a year. It's almost like we've been doing this for almost a year. And there was also nothing that proved that he and Fanny had a sexual relationship. Like, there was nothing saying, like, for sure he was the father of the baby or anything. Too bad DNA testing wasn't a thing back like, then. Like, this thing would have been solved in a cinch. Do you realize All they would that? have would have had to do was do a paternity test, and boom. Boom. You... Well, okay. Not necessarily. Because well, yeah. proving that they had a... a, a, a but know, that does provide motive. motive. Well, and if <laughs> he has motive and the means and the opportunity... Does that equal a conviction? Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, it's three things that you have to have. Well, okay. Well, think about it like this. They they were saying, okay, they were like, his motive is he wants to marry the high society woman he's engaged to, you know, one out of three. Yeah. He does not want everybody to know what he did with his cousin. He does not want to have to provide for his cousin. He does not want the social shame of it. So they were saying he lured her to Richmond with the idea of, you know, when a woman at the time was pregnant and needed to hide the fact that she was pregnant, you 
put her to a specific place where she gives birth in secret and I guess maybe the baby is kept there, put up for adoption or something. Right. Or given to a family member to pretend it was theirs. Right. So the thought was they're gathering in Richmond to discuss where she's going to go and have, like, spend the last two months of her pregnancy and give birth. But they're saying that that was him drawing her there under false pretenses so he could then kill her. Because they mentioned in the indictment over and over again, quote, malice aforethought. Okay. So premeditation. Yes. Murder. Murder. Mm-hmm. When he was arrested, he was brought to Richmond City Jail, where he was kept under heightened degree of guard. They got a lot more guards there just because... You know, the reason he, they did that, it's not like this guy's, like, going to kill everybody. Houdini. No, no. What they're saying is mobs. People got oh. really upset about this. Okay. Um, people really hated him. Like, thousands of people were visiting the reservoir, were visiting everything to do with this girl. It was really sensationalized. Okay. They hated him. And when people hate you, it's hard to get a jury because you need people mm. who are not already going to be biased uh, saying, like, you did it. And so, you know, one thing that you ask, and it's obviously still asked today, is, like, would you be able to put aside everything you were previously told about this person, this case, and just base your decision off of what you see in the trial? And that is, quite honestly, a very difficult thing. And right. I have to assume it's also a very difficult thing to know about yourself right and it's also like even in the trial if somebody says strike that from the record anything that they say you're not supposed to hold like consider but it's like but you heard it but you heard it and you're human and they just yeah it's so difficult so they brought a whole group of people together i think they started with a (laughs) hundred they got like four oh and they were like okay we need to do it again so they sent out for 200 men, got some to come to the jail, and I think they got, like, another few. They eventually, of course, had to come up with getting a jury, but it was quite a difficult process just because of how biased people were against him already. The court itself, the trial started at 11 a.m. on May 5th, to which he pleaded not guilty. His defense was all about deny, 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 one, and two, saying that she committed suicide instead. Which is a pause. Okay, other than the head wound. Other than the head wound. Unless she was, like, climbing or doing something she really shouldn't have been and then hurt herself and, like, passed out in the river. Yeah, but that's still not suicide. Yeah, but it would still be... That would explain the head wound. Yeah. And then also explain how she died. It just seems incredibly unlikely. And how did her glove get up there if there wasn't a struggle? Good point. Yeah. I think the only thing going for the suicide option is simply that... She was an unwed woman of... Unwed woman, but you have that train conductor who said that she got on board and she said, I wish this train would just go off the rails and kill me. Right. I had already forgotten about that. It's a key detail. Yeah. In her mind state, you know, we don't know what's going on, but... And he said it was it was odd. He said that she was smiling while she was talking to him. Like, I don't think it was, like, an eerie thing necessarily (laughs) like just saying awful things but smile putting a smile on your face but yeah it's it's something to keep in mind and i think the defense really latched on to it right i mean and it makes sense that they would because you need to defend your client even newspapers were reporting on this at the beginning of the trial were like they don't actually have enough to convict him They, they were surprised about it and he had a lot of connections in the area his family was really well known and he had like 
four awesome lawyers on his side, really high up places. And there were a lot of people just really dedicated to proving his innocence and who stuck by him like the whole time he was going through this. So his first trial lasted for four weeks. Notice, I, note I say first trial. He was sentenced on June 19th, and when it was a sentencing day, people were spilling out of the courthouse into the streets. And he was told to stand and was asked if there was any reason he shouldn't be sentenced to death, mm-hmm. to which he responded quietly, I will say, sir, that you are pronouncing sentence on an innocent man. That is all I have to say, sir. Okay. I mean, that is a defense, you know? It, it is a defense. So he was sentenced to hang, but... So this is June 19th. He was sentenced for execution on November 20th. And the idea was that the Supreme Court was going to meet in Richmond on November 2nd to decide if he got another trial. Uh-huh. In which case, you know, they were just not going to execute him before that point, And so it was allowing for time. Which... Eventually, you know, they did get him to have another trial, and I don't quite know how many he got, but I know as of May 7th, 1866, there was, like, a request for another trial at the Supreme Court of Appeals the Mm -hmm. day after another trial had just ended, which, again, resulted in his conviction, and it did seem incredibly unlikely at that point that he would get a trial, they noted, and on December 1886, people were kind of concerned that... The governor would commute his sentence to life imprisonment just because there was so much kind of question behind the murder still, and there was a lot of public sentiment against him, but there was, again, very little proof. Yeah, with no proof, he should not be sentenced to death. Yeah. 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 Like, without concrete proof, he should not be sentenced to death. Thank you. And, I mean, a lot of people were feeling that way, but then again, when you have, like, the public actively hating someone Mm -hmm. you gotta kind of like bring yourself back to the truth because i mean the public opinion kind of changes what is considered to be the known truth of something right you know yeah so on december 1886 tj's brother william filed a statement by tj I'm sorry, in my notes I wrote him sometimes as TJ because Thomas Judson Clavarius, but Thomas filed a statement with the governor, and this was just Thomas going over the, what he said were his movements during that weekend when he was in Richmond, and it was saying that she did commit suicide, it was, I think, going over just again the defense of why that was. He also said that the affidavits that I guess the jurors filed maybe after the trial I'm not quite sure how it worked but they said that oh we didn't know that we could find him guilty of second degree murder which I guess they found him guilty of first degree murder uh-huh. so they didn't realize there was a lesser charge that they could give him and so he was trying to you know I think do mistrial about that or right. get which life sentence sense. yeah it does make sense and and there was a juror named F.A. Howell who Thomas was saying was biased because he had said, apparently, was later discovered, that before he was selected for the jury, he said Thomas should hang, should oh, be executed. Yeah. You can't really be a juror if you're saying it. But then again, I guess possibly he lied, because you do have to be careful about that. Because let's say there's a person who has been really wrapped up emotionally in this case, it goes to trial, they're like, I know in my gut this person did it they're going to possibly lie to get in. So you kind of have to be on your guard right? as a jury selector. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that 100% makes sense. Agreed. 
Also in December 1886, Fanny's mother, whose name is Lucine T. Madison. Oh, they did give her a name. I lied earlier. I apologize profusely. (laughs) She wrote to the governor and the New York Times summarized it. Or no, actually they excerpted it. And she said she was writing the governor to, quote, let the law take its course with that wretch Cluverius, who has caused father, mother, and eight brothers and sisters to see so much trouble. Only hasten as quick as possible for the sake of other mothers and innocent females. Please, for the sake of the mother, whose heart and mind have been nearly crazed with grief and sadness, let it, meaning the judgment of the court, stay as it is. Mm. So you, you have this pathos versus... I'm going to go ahead and say logic a little bit. And that is not me being Team Thomas. Right. I'm really not necessarily Team Thomas. I am Team We Don't Know. Right. For sure. We don't know for sure enough. We don't know enough to sentence a man to death. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But they did. And on January 14th, 1887, he did hang. So they were really waiting until the last minute possible, wondering if the governor would issue a commuting of his sentence. He met with his lawyer until 2 a.m. And the lawyer then went out to the governor to see if there was anything any changes or something so he met with his lawyer Beverly Crump until 2 a.m. and then he prayed and sang hymns until 6 a.m. and then he slept from 6 to 9 and then he his final meal was tenderloin beefsteak mushrooms and an egg omelet okay yeah and then he was visited by Captain Frank W. Cunningham who was like a, a singer in the area and so they kind of sang hymns together oh okay so yeah it looks like and it's hard to say you know what is real or what is for show but it looks like he these people visited him very often like the reverend and this guy and it was all very religious based and see a lot of people do find like religion in this time because you're about to die about to die and i mean he was a sunday school teacher beforehand it was very possible even though he did not say what or did he did not do what he said (laughs) Oh, are you talking about, like, all the letters and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> and the three engagements. <laughs> the three engagements. But he, there is this, like, one documented conversation between Cunningham, the singer, and him. The Cunningham asked, do you still say that you are innocent? Thomas said, I am innocent. Cunningham said again, and do you believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And believing in him, you assert that you are innocent, knowing that you have to answer before God. And Thomas said, I can say that I'm innocent. Because one thing people were kind of wondering about, and people always wonder about when it gets to an execution of somebody who is proclaiming innocence, is, well, are they going to confess last minute? And the confession is typically like thought, you you know, confess your sins, get to heaven kind of thing, like a, a last minute thing. And so they walked out to the jail yard because his lawyer did come back and he did announce no it's not going to be able to happen so 1255 he is given black clothes to wear he has walked out his hands are tied in front of him there are two people in the jail yard who got tickets to watch it and then 10,000 people outside of the jail they are on like house rooftops and stuff anything that could be tall enough to look in Uh uh-huh and he goes up to the platform and a reverend comes up with him, prays with him, and he is asked, Thomas is asked, if he has any last words while he's up there. And he said, no, sir, nothing at all. 
And while the Reverend is praying with him, Thomas speaks to him very quietly. And then the Reverend gets up, looks at the crowd and says, I am requested by the prisoner to utter one word for him. And that is that in this moment of death, he carries to the grave no feeling of ill will towards any man on earth. And as he walked away from the platform, the Reverend said, and he still says he's innocent. So people didn't get the last minute confession they were really hoping to get. Right. He was hanged at 1.08 p.m. exactly, and they did listen to him struggle to breathe for several minutes, uh, but he was officially pronounced dead 16 minutes after the initial hanging. Dang. It's a long process. I always forget that. It's because they don't measure it correctly. Like, they're supposed to break your neck, and so you die instantaneously. But Mm. if your neck doesn't break, then you have to suffocate to death. Oh, oh, okay. That's, I think, why they mentioned it. Because they said, like, it was a kind of a silk rope, and silk is kind of stretchy. I guess, and they said yeah. it stretched so much that he almost but not quite touched the ground. So my guess is that took away from the breaking of the neck. Yeah, I guess so. <sighs> okay, so I... <laughs> Sorry. You good? You good? Yeah, you know, I'm good. Okay, what I kind of wanted to end with is just, like, a little bit of a discussion on what we actually think happened so we have the one hand of regardless of what actually happened in terms of the legality of it from the information i have been able to gather right it seems like sparse evidence for a death sentence oh yeah 100 mm-hmm. do i think he did it yes can we go into that a little <laughs> bit? i mean it's just based off the witnesses you mm-hmm. know he definitely lied about some things so anything that he does say, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt. I was very surprised because, you know, I think at first, can I take you actually really quick through my thought process of this research and learning yes. about this case? So I've had this in my little list for a while now. Mm-hmm. And it had seemed just, I was like scanning headlines, little things about it as I was deciding, okay, is this what I really want to talk about? And I think it was all framed at, and she was murdered by her cousin who had made her pregnant. Okay? So immediately I went into this at first thinking, okay, he did it. And then the first articles I really read, or one in particular, it it was the one that like really went into his hanging in detail. And it was just an account. It was very much pro-Thomas because it was just all about the fact that what evidence was there there was always something to fault it like the watch key they had a watch key unless Um, it was his brother's watch key unless it was his brother's are are you saying the brother did it no 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 (laughs) what i'm saying is like the brother was able to cure a watch key that looks very similar right i know i was thinking maybe you just like bought in bulk <laughs> or they had two like they had two identical watches that they passed on to the both brothers you know yeah so like it's not concrete evidence either way yeah so there's like it, it's not saying it's not his watch key but it's also not saying necessarily that it is right and then you have the people who saw him and the truth of it is it does all match yeah there's no way he was in that hotel they were cousins she went there specifically to meet well, remember, somebody. Remember, he did stay at a different hotel. He was at a different hotel? He was okay. in Capitol Hotel. She was an American hotel. But the people who saw him did see him, like, getting into a streetcar near the American Hotel. And he did give her a letter 
the at more. the American Hotel. So he, they definitely met up that night. There's no yes. doubt in my mind. Okay. And he lied about not meeting up with her. He did. And so that's he what did. makes me think if he lied about that, he's lying about a lot of other things. That's true. So I definitely think he did it. I'm personally just very surprised. I was just wondering how how they made that initial connection. Like, okay, because people don't go around knowing what everybody else looks like. We don't have Instagram at this point. So it's not like they could go up to these guys and be like, hey, here's a picture of uh, Thomas Cluverius. Did you see Fanny with a woman with a man who looked like him? And you, you know, it wasn't well, like that. Well, he was well-known and had connections, right? Yeah, but he was from the county next to it. He wasn't always yeah. in Richmond. Yeah. And the people who... The witnesses who talked about him, they didn't know him previously. Otherwise, they would have been able to say this is the guy. I think, like, it was really the... I think it has to be that the first thing that really just tumulted everything for him is the fact that she did address an envelope to him. So we do know that there was something. And, you know, she was coming from out of town. It wasn't like she had many connections there. She actually did know one family in the area, and they were actually the ones who identified her. But she wasn't staying with them. Right. And, like, if she wanted to die by suicide, Mm -hmm. she wouldn't have had to go to Richmond to do it. She wouldn't have had to go to Richmond. She would not have to be under a fake name. Right. So, yeah, there's no... I 100% believe she went to Richmond to meet him, and she met him. And that he killed her. Hmm. That part, I'm pretty sure he did kill her, but... That part you can't really prove. You cannot prove. But then again, who else would have? But then again, she was a woman going to a city that she's unfamiliar with. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are awful all the time. And even if he did kill her, it's not necessarily malicious intent. Like, it could have been an accident and he just didn't own up to it. You know? I guess it could have been. Yeah. Okay, so I think we're lying on should not have been con- should not have been hanged. No, definitely not. Definitely deserved jail time, I think. I think there was enough evidence there that he just deserved some jail time. Okay. But also like I don't really think jail time would have hurt him too much. No, because like he did have he had so many people I mean obviously he had so many people, people against him. Right. At the same time he had so many people for him. It was just this was, this case caused a hubbub. I can I can tell. Okay. So, okay. We are in the camp of should not have been executed. Probably killed her. Yes. All right. Uh, thanks, Zoe. Well, I mean, honestly, I'm sorry. I need to add one more thing. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, if you kill one person that was a personal reason for the crime, mm-hmm. even if you're caught on camera with 500 witnesses killing this person, I don't think you should be sentenced to death. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Well, now we're kind of getting into more of, like, modern-day capital punishment type thing. Right. But I was just talking about, like, legally at the time. Right, okay. Was this, like, maybe a miscarriage of justice based off of the current laws? But, yeah. He should not have been hanged even for that time period. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for chatting with me. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. If you like today's episode, please rate review telefriendo and join our patreon at patreon.com slash haunted hospitality we have a three dollar tier and give you a new episode every month yes and that episode comes out on the 13th because we're spooky if you want to see robin's notes or sources excuse me for this episode you can go to hauntedhospitality.wordpress.com if you want to tell your own spooky story whether that be true crime or paranormal 
paranormal, supernatural, supernormal, super, one of those is the right word. You can go oh to, my God. you can write <laughs> us an email at hauntedhospitalitypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and we were also on the interwebs. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Haunted Hospitality and Twitter at Haunted Host. We hope to see you there. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.